Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my second podcast in the series on Hanukkah. Hanukkah this year is December 10th through the 18th. In our last podcast, we got a bit of a history lesson, didn't we? And we're not done yet with this intertestamental journey. Remember, we discovered the historical events that led up to what's going to be called the Maccabean Revolt occurred during a time in between the end of the Old Testament writings and the beginning of the New Testament writings, which is why this story is not told in the Old Testament, but instead is found in a series of books called First and Second Maccabees. So why study Hanukkah? Well, I think it's important for Christians and Jews to have a greater understanding of each other's faith traditions. The celebration of Hanukkah is a celebration of God's amazing power at work. That seems like a great reason to celebrate, doesn't it? We reviewed there's actually three different and correct ways to spell Hanukkah. We learned the Hebrew word Hanukkah means dedication, and it's named because it celebrates the rededication of the Holy Temple in the second century BC. Our story reminded us of Israel's history of captivity by the Assyrians and then later the Babylonians, which is all described in our Old Testament book. But then we get to the part of history that happened after the Old Testament ended. We have the reign of Alexander the Great, who successfully battled the world leaders, the Assyrians. And Alexander had an agreement of sorts with Israel and let them live in basic peace. However, after Alexander's death, there's a time of chaos and a real power struggle between the two leaders who divide up his kingdom. To the north, we have the Seleucid Empire, and that's headquartered in Damascus, Syria, which is north of Israel. And then to the south, we have Ptolemy, whose headquarters is in Alexandria, Egypt. And yep, smack dab in the middle, we have Israel. We learn that Jews are really caught in this tremendous power struggle, and so we have Antiochus, who is nicknamed the Mad, and he eventually rules over the northern dynasty between 175 and 164 BC. Rather than exterminate the Jews, he tries to force them to accept Greek culture, and the Jews are forbidden to worship or practice any of their faith traditions. Then came the awful desecration of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, where King Antiochus basically declares himself to be God and sacrifices a pig on the holy altar. After this horrible event, we learned that Antiochus's men go from town to town to force the inhabitants to worship the pagan gods. There's a family of believers who refuse. And a subsequent uprising begins. A young man by the name of Judah becomes their leader. 
And I think this is so cool, what we learned, that the word Maccabee, because Judah is called Maccabee, M-A-C-C-A-B-E-E. -E. Well, it's a word composed of the initial letters of four Hebrew words. Hashem, Who is like you, O Yahweh, or who is like you, O God? Therefore, it becomes known as the Maccabean Revolt. So here's where we pick up our story. <laughs> These Maccabees, honestly, what a forlorn group. On paper, they had absolutely no chance of winning. The Syrian army, we had learned, consisted of over 40,000 men and their trained soldiers. But you should know this by now, our God is an awesome God, right? And he's quite honestly never put off by odds. In fact, I think he likes them because then it can show that our God is God. Remember David and Goliath? So here again, God performs a miracle and after a series of battles, the war is won by this small group of Jews called the Maccabees. Now, the Maccabees then miraculously recaptured the temple. Remember, the temple was defiled in 168 BC, so now they have to cleanse it and restore it. So here's what happens in the story from the website, Did Jesus Celebrate Hanukkah? I quote, they entered the temple and cleared it of the idols placed there by the Syrians. They wanted to light the menorah as it is commanded in the Torah, but the menorah was missing. It was taken by Antiochus. The menorah, which means lamp stand in Hebrew, is the oldest continuously used religious symbol in Western civilization. In fact, it was Moses who got instructions from God on how to make the first menorah. They used the menorah when they were in the desert in their tent of meeting. It was called the tabernacle. And then again, they used the menorah once they had their permanent place of worship, the temple. The original menorah that was in the temple, it had six what we'll call branches three on one side, three on the other, and then with a center stem, making seven total places for candles. If you look on my website, studentofthebible.com, you'll, you'll see pictures of what the menorah looked like and also where the menorah, also called the lampstand, was located in the temple. It was in an area called the sanctuary, near where the table with the bread was. And a priest would light the menorah in the sanctuary every evening and then clean it out every morning. And that would involve replacing the wicks and also putting fresh olive oil into the cups because it's olive oil that they would light. The olive oil had to be blessed by the priest and then put into the cups. We continue with the story. Having evicted the pagan idolaters from their holy temple, they began the process to repair, restore, cleanse, and rededicate it to the Lord. The dedication was an eight-day process and required the use of sanctified oil for the lampstand. 
Well, first, history tells us that they actually had to make another menorah. The beautiful one made out of gold was stolen. So they make a menorah. But they only had a one-day supply of holy oil. And it would take eight days to make more because the oil had to be made from olives and then, as I said, blessed by the high priest. Nevertheless, they lit the menorah and began the sanctification process. Miraculously, the oil burned for eight days. And this is the essence of the eight-day celebration of Hanukkah. Now, can you imagine how meaningful this was to the Jews? They were truly bathing the darkness in light. Today, they celebrate this festival with a nine-candlestick menorah. It's called a Hanukkah, but it's also sometimes called a menorah. But remember, the traditional menorah in the temple had seven. This has a place for nine candles, one for each day the oil burned, and then the center candlestick is called the servant candle, and it's used to light the others. Now, there are very specific rules about lighting a menorah. So as I said, the Hanukkah menorah has nine branches, four on either side, one for each night of the Festival of Lights, plus it's called a shamash, which is the helper or the attendant candle in the middle. And this is the one that's lit first. And then you use that to light the other candles. The shamash always sits either a little bit higher or a little bit lower than the rest of the candles. And that's just basically so you don't get confused about which ones you're supposed to light. Now, the candles are placed on the menorah from right to left. This is actually the same direction that you read Hebrew. You read Hebrew from right to left. But when you light the menorah, you move in the opposite direction. Using the shamash, you light from left to right. Confusing? Ah, you do your best. All right, so how many candles are needed? Okay, do some quick math. Oh, it's actually 44. Each night, a new candle is added to the menorah, plus the shamash, and you burn it all the way down. So, for example, on night number three, you have candles one, two, and three lit, plus the shamash. Do you follow me? All right. Now, menorahs, they're typically placed in a window, so people can see it. And there's also beautiful menorahs on display throughout the world. There's a couple of really big ones in New York City. And when I was in Jerusalem, I saw a gorgeous public menorah in the Jewish quarter of the old city. I actually have a picture of it on my website. Now, the miracle of the oil lasting these eight days is not only celebrated through the lighting of the menorah, but what else do they do? So like many holidays, it's all about the food, right? So two of the traditional foods for Hanukkah are latkes, which are potato pancakes, very, very good, served with applesauce or sour cream. And the other dish is a jelly donut 
called a sofgenot. And both are deep fried in oil. In fact, most of the Hanukkah dishes are. Why? Well, again, the oil symbolizes the eight days the oil lasted in the temple. There's also special blessings that are recited before the menorah is lit and traditional songs are sung. And there's games. You're probably familiar with a dreidel. A dreidel is a four-sided spinning top. And nowadays it can be made of wood or plastic or clay. Now, if you look at a dreidel, there are four letters on the sides of it. Nun, Gimel, Chech, and Shin. Okay, so those are the Hebrew letters on the side. But they're an acronym for the Hebrew word Nes Gedel Hashem, which means a great miracle happened there. Isn't that great? So the game, it's usually played for uh, like a pot of coins or nuts. You know, it's, it's like a little gambling game. And uh, what's won or lost is based on which letter the dreidel lands on when it's spun. All right. Now, do you know why they play this game during Hanukkah? Well, first off, I'm going to say that no one is quite sure when the dreidel was first developed. Uh, there's many who think that it's older than 160 BC because they think that during this time when we have the evil king Antiochus and he controls the Holy Land and makes it illegal for the Jews to practice their faith or even read or study scripture, there's a strong belief that during this time the Jews had to get creative and basically had to take their Torah studying underground. You know, they had to do it like out in the fields or in the forest. So the thought is that while children were studying their Torah in these sort of hidden places, if a Greek officer came upon them, the kids would quickly pull out this dreidel, this toy, and, you know, kind of make it look like they've just been playing all along and it's completely innocent. But there's even more to the meaning of the dreidel. Here's where this gets really interesting. Those dreidels, four letters, are also thought to correspond with the four ancient kingdoms that tried and failed to destroy the Jewish people. Now, you know about some of these. So, the letter Nun represents Nebuchadnezzar. He was the Babylonian leader who destroyed that first temple in Jerusalem. Gimel stands for Gog, which is Greece. And this is this whole reason for Hanukkah, which we've just learned about. And then He stands for Haman. And you learned about Haman if you studied the book of Esther with me. This is that wicked guy in ancient Persia who wanted to basically commit genocide and wipe out the Jews. And his defeat is remembered in the Jewish holiday of Purim. And then we have Sheen. And that stands for Sire, or Ancient Rome. Now, we haven't gotten to this point yet, but Rome destroys the Second Temple in 70 AD. Oh, but there's more. What's also interesting is that on this little dreidel, did you know that 
Each letter in the Hebrew alphabet also has a corresponding numerical value. So the numerical value of the dreidels nun, gimel, chet, and shin is the number three, five, eight. Now, this numerical value is the same as some keywords in Hebrew. Guys, I kind of just get chills when I learn to this. It's the same as Nahash, which is the snake that tempted Adam and Eve to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. But it's also the numerical value of the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. I know. I just think that is unbelievable. Okay, so what about presents? <laughs> I remember as a kid, I'm going to confess, being a bit jealous when I heard my Jewish friends got presents for eight straight days. That seemed like a pretty good religion to me. I'm not sure that they actually received full-on gifts for eight days, but in my head they did. Well, the tradition is actually to give something called gelt, G-E-L-T, and that's gifts of money, which I gotta tell you also sounded really good to me. Well, I was privileged when I was young to attend Hanukkah service with some of my friends, and I remember the beautiful words being repeated again and again, Barukata Adonai, which means blessed are you, O Lord, our God. And the Hebrew blessing continues. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to kindle the Hanukkah light. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who performed miracles for our forefathers in those days at this time. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has granted us life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this occasion. One of the Hebrew songs that is sung on Hanukkah is translated, We came to drive away the darkness. I love that. The light came to overcome the darkness. I think there's such a special connection between Hanukkah and Christmas. With Christmas, which happens in the darkest time of the year, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, we celebrate the birth of the light coming into the world. In the world's darkest hour, the light comes. And the same is true about Hanukkah. Light comes into the world and darkness cannot overcome it. In the Gospel of John, where we learn that Jesus did celebrate Hanukkah, we learn a lot about light. Jesus uses much descriptive language and associates God with light. John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John 9, 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 36. Jesus wants us to believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Hanukkah truly is a festival of lights. It's a celebration of joy. Let us all be the light of the world as we're reminded both in the Old and the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 2 says, Arise, shine, for your light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall rise up upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you, unquote. And then both Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, and Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, that you may be blameless and harmless as the children of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom shine as lights in the world." Unquote. During this time of darkness, I encourage all of you to be a light. Have a blessed day.